Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB AM 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm thrilled to be here every week sharing some stories with some amazing women in the Philadelphia area and across the country as well. And I'm very excited to have a a lady in the studio with me today who's um, typically used to being on the other side of the microphone. So I'm going to flip the tables on her. And her name is Tracy Davidson. And many of you know Tracy Davidson as our NBC 10 anchor and consumer reporter. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks for having me. This is great. Yeah, I'm excited to to learn a little bit more about you and your background. Um, And as I typically do, I start out with your younger years. And uh, I'd love to hear about your life when you were a young girl, a little bit about your, your schooling and your aspirations. Many times people say to me, did you always know that you wanted to be on television? I never knew I wanted to be on television. I knew when I started to go to, I knew in high school that I liked to read a lot and I liked information. And I knew when I went to college that I liked information. And then I got my first radio job at a college campus and then I was completely hooked. But that's how I got into this business. So uh, so it wasn't until college that you really discovered that, that love of media, let's right, say. Right, right. So um, when you were growing up, what types of things did you think you were going to be interested in? Typically in, in high school, we start to think about what do I want to be when I grow up? And I I've read a lot about your interest and, and kind of yearning to help other people. And I kind of been wondering where that developed. Where did that come from for you? You know, I don't know. I think at an early age, I wanted to help people, take care of people. My sister was much younger, so I helped to take care of her. Um, I grew up in a home with a lot of domestic violence, so I was really focused on caring for my brother and sister. I'm not sure that that uh, prompted me to always want to help people, but... I always would meet people that came from a different walk of life, maybe, and I thought I would like to help them. And that sort of just has grown over the decades. And when you were, um, talk to me a little bit about the activities you were involved in in high school. So Was it sports? Was it the arts? No, I just, you know what? I did my homework. I read a lot. I was in color guard, so I threw around big rifles and big banners. Oh. <laughs> so I had very well-developed arms as a young, as a high schooler, but, but that's about it. Okay. And what was your very first job then out of high school? My very first job was in my freshman year of college. I got a job at a very small radio station south of Rochester, New York, And I worked on the weekends. I worked Saturdays and Sundays, and I would read the news at the top of the hour, and I would DJ for the rest of the time. And how did you get into that? I was was already, again, I, I got hooked. When I went to college, again, I didn't really have, I mean, I guess people, I guess young people now really have a vision. I really didn't. I knew the things that I liked that I was passionate about. I knew I liked to read. I knew I liked information. 
Um, I loved learning. In fact, that's why I've been going to school for the last 12 years. Yes, yes. Uh, but so I, that's what I knew. And then I got asked to go to an organizational meeting of the radio station, and I went, and I was completely, I loved music. My brother and I used to have uh, contests to see who could, pick the, who could pick the next top 10 for the next for the next uh, week in the top, you know, Casey Kasem's American Top 40. We used to do all that. So I, I was completely hooked. I wanted to be involved with the radio station. And then they said, but freshmen, you can only if you you can only get involved if you get a senior to sponsor you and tag along with him or her. Well, I found some poor guy who had mercy on me and he said, you know, I'll help you. I'll teach you. Yeah, who knew that he had the 7 a.m. shift? And for a college student, <laughs> walking up those hills at 6 a.m., oh, there's nothing like that. And then learning how to turn on the radio station. And uh, so I was completely hooked. And then and then somebody said, so I was DJing with him. And then on the FM station, I started to read news. And then someone said, you know, there's a small radio station. And they're looking for somebody to work weekends. And, and would you like to do it? Of course. I don't know how that guy had any faith in me that he hired me after having maybe three or four months of radio experience at my college station. But <laughs> but I worked for him for a while. At what what uh, was the name of the college you went to? I went to SUNY Geneseo, a state college south of Rochester, okay. in New York. Mm-hmm. Is that a large school, a small school? Mm, it's I think it's medium size. I don't you know it's not it's not huge. It's in the middle. It's in the middle of nowhere. Okay. Um, there are cows all around. So, yeah, you can't get into much trouble at Geneseo. I'm not sure if my parents sent me there. That's why I don't know. But, well. So we don't really know who was listening to the to the radio I'm show I'm not at the time. sure. That's probably why I got hired. That's right. right. Um, so tell me a little bit about back then. I'm not sure whether this is true or not, that were women um, kind of a minority in the radio industry or were was there plenty of women in uh, doing radio? I think there was a minority. I, there weren't very many people. There weren't very many women at the college station. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were a few. I didn't. I, I didn't stand out. There were. There were definitely a few of us. Right. And then when I went to work for the small commercial radio station, I was the only woman, except for the re- receptionist. Yeah. So that takes that takes some courage to kind of step into an industry where I was too young. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I just knew that I liked to talk to people and I liked to interview people. And then they gave me the job. They said, well, after a while, they said, go out and cover the town hall meetings and and do and do interviews with community leaders. OK. Again, I love to learn and I love to talk to people. Yeah. So really, it just came from a natural um, curiosity, I would say, in people and their stories. Right. Which is kind of what I love to do. Um, it, it, you do a lot of work. You do a lot of different things. You're speaking. You're reporting. Um, you are on a lot of boards for uh, several organizations in the Philadelphia area. And I wonder which is, is there one in particular you enjoy more? You know, do you like going out and and interviewing? Do you like the motivational speaking that you do, um, the philanthropy work that you do? Is there kind of one that is your favorite? I don't think so. I think it all, you know, we all, as women, we always hear about, a bal- you know, getting having a balanced life and balancing. And, and I always look at it as more holistic and what do you want in your life. And for my life to be whole and complete, it has to have all of those pieces. And there's not one that's any more important than the other. Yeah. I, I ask this question often because I'm just so curious. When you are someone like you who does multiple um, tasks, how it, do you best work your day? In other words, are you tackling things as they're coming at you or, or are you very organized and kind of schedule your time in sections? I My day is scheduled in 15 minute increments. Oh my goodness. Wow. 
Yeah. <laughs> so real. I mean, you have something set, which is for, um, probably not good. But I mean, I and well, I do schedule my downtime. So, so how does that work for you? You w- literally wake up in the morning and you you allot a certain amount of time for right. Let's so, say emails or right. My alarm goes off at one thirty in the morning, and I get to work by two forty five, and then yeah, I have a, a plan on how the rest of the day is going to go. How what I have to do to prepare to go on at four thirty in the morning, at seven o'clock what happens. Then when am I going to spend social media time? When am I going to spend email time? How many how many lunches or appearances or speeches will I take in a month? Yes. Okay, that's very structured. And that works for you. It does. Otherwise, I would overwhelm myself. How do you look so bright-eyed and bushy-tailed right now with me? It's called Beautiful. coffee. Coffee. Coffee is my friend. <laughs> Um, tell me a little bit about the, uh, the, the work that you're doing for the Laurel House. Um, that's a wonderful organization. And you made a mention in the beginning of, of mm-hmm. the show about domestic violence. And one of my questions was, obviously, what um, led you on that path? Why did you have an interest in helping in that area? Can you talk about that? We know, you know, I, I wish um, for so many people that you know, when we were coming up, there weren't really there weren't really shelters or there wasn't a lot of talk about domestic violence. I mean, it, a long time ago, and, and I liken it to so many other things in society, that a long time ago it used to be accepted. It was a family matter and nobody talked about it and nobody helped because everybody just sort of, same thing, same thing with drunk driving, right? And now we've said, no, we, we don't tolerate that anymore. And the same thing with domestic violence. Now we can stand up and say, no, that's not wrong. I mean, that's not right. It's wrong. And it's not just something to be kept within the confines of a family home. And, and there is help available for both the people who are being abused and the people who are doing the abusing. I mean, we've come a long, long way since the days when I was growing up. And so, so for me, it's all about talking about it. No social challenge, no social problem ever got better by not talking about it. That's we right. have to talk about it. And we have to make sure that there are resources available for everyone in any, in any kind of circumstance. So if somebody needs, somebody needs um, housing, there needs to be a place for them to go. If somebody says, I just need to go and talk to someone, there needs to be a place for that person to go. And so, um, and so that's why I get involved with uh, domestic violence shelters like Laurel House. Yeah. And so what specific things do you guys do to get the message out, excuse me, to um, families and, and women, you know, out there, whether they're, you know, some of them are, are homeless. Some of them are have been in relationships and families for many, many years. What types of things do you do to get that message out? Well, you know what I want to really highlight what they talk about besides doing just a lot of outreach and and putting brochures in places where they think women would be able to see them mm-hmm. and be able to put them somewhere to feel safe enough um, to take in the information. But what they also do and this is so important, is they focus on outreach to younger people, too, because it's really happening. um, Dating violence is happening more and more. That is sort of an exploding problem right now. And so it has to do with teaching our young people, too. This is cool. This isn't. And so I've even talked to young people for them um, and and talked about um, telling young people Young women, this is how you deserve to be treated. And if you're not treated like that, you need to walk away. And young men, this is how you are to treat. And if you're the friend of someone, you need to speak up. You need to be brave and you need to say, this isn't right. This isn't how you treat other people. Yeah. You know, I think that's really important. There's, I don't understand why it's so prevalent. 
um, amongst young people, but it is. And we could talk about what those reasons are, whether it has to do with media or, you know, culture, morals, lack of. Um, I think it's really critical that we educate the boys as well. We Mm -hmm. talk a lot about building self-esteem in young women and teaching them that, you know, they are valued and, and they need to respect themselves. But I think teaching the boys is really going to be something that's going to change things. Um, and, and similarly with with just um, trying to get women to kind of find their place and their purpose, again, talking to the men. How do you feel about that? Oh, I agree. I mean, I think that there's there's the more we can do at an earlier age to teach our young people about a lot of different things, but to really value themselves and value each other. Yes. You know, I have a son and I, and uh, I think he, obviously he learns from example, um, but the boys that maybe don't have those figures in their household, I wonder if, you know, uh, in the schools that they should actually have, you know, a certain amount of time dedicated to just teaching the boys and girls respect and, Mm -hmm. and the way they should be treating each other. We think that you get that book when you are eight years old or you're brought up in that home that teaches you that. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes it's not the case. So it becomes all of our responsibilities. Yeah. Um, can you tell me a little bit about um, when you're, you are you get up at one thirty in the morning. That's very early. <laughs> and you go to the studio and you prepare for your show each day. Um, what are some of the challenges for you? What are some of the things that, you know, Obviously, you are very structured. What are some of the things that you kind of, oh, you know, this is the tough part of the day for me. This is some of the things that I just don't look forward to. I don't know. I'm pretty grateful every day. What The challenge is, you know, there's there's nothing that I dread in my day. I'm, I'm incredibly grateful. I'm the luckiest person in, on the planet. But... But what I have to work on doing is completely disconnecting because, as I said, I I love my job, which means I love information. Mm -hmm. And because of technology, I could take in information all day long. Right. And I really have to set time limits when I'm going to disconnect um, so that I can have my downtime, my quality time, my peaceful time, my quiet time, um, because I've done so much research about how all of that can really diminish my ability to focus both in depth and duration, by doing all these millions of things, especially with social media, which I adore. I love my Twitter. I love my Facebook. I love all the ways I can take in information. Mm-hmm. But all of the switching and task switching, we mm-hmm. all think that we're multitaskers, which we're really not. It's called task switching, which means our brains go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, which diminishes our ability to focus. So so what I re- what's hard for me, what my challenge is, is to break away from that right. and to set time limits for myself and say, during this time, I will not be task switching or going back and forth between Facebook, my, my website, my NBC 10 News, all of that. And I just try to step away. It's very hard, I think, for people who are naturally curious. I, mm-hmm. I have the same difficulty. And uh, I read an article in Time magazine this week about mindfulness. And it's a big, big topic. And it's a wonderful topic for today. Um, another thing I think they should be teaching the kids as early as they can about that trying to be in the moment. You know, we say that a lot. But what does that really mean? And how do you do it? Um, I think it's really important. Is it something that you practice um, as far as me- meditation? Do you go as far as doing meditation or do you just try to be no, aware? Absolutely. There's meditation. In fact, I've taken a number of classes um 
in my in my coursework about attentiveness and it was focused on it was focused on pr- being prayerful being being mindful but being prayerful as well and then when you look at being mindful and being able to practice attentiveness and focus you learn that it can help you in every area of your life not just being able to have your meditation, not just being able to have your relationship with your divine, but in your work, in your goals at work, in your goals and relationships. And it all has to do with being mindful, being present, being focused, and that you have to practice at. You do. And I think it's a tough thing to teach. You know, it really is a tough thing to teach our young people when they have access to the information overload, which I talk about a lot. Um, I think it can be... I sometimes struggle with, is it a right or wrong thing? Should we be out there trying to absorb as much information as we possibly can? Or should we be disconnecting more? Um, I'm not sure what the answer to that is. Well, personally, I have to take a digital detox about once a month. And I try to take a long period of time that I detox. Over several days? Mm, No. Usually it, it would maximum be two days. Okay. But it would be two days of, of no media. And are you going through withdrawal? <laughs> Wondering what's happening in the world? That's what I would be doing. What's happening? And I don't know about it. No, because all because it doesn't take too long to realize all the things that you miss when you're taking in all that other stuff. That's right. That's the important stuff. And you quickly start to see them. And then hopefully that reminds <clears> you to, <throat> to try to notice them even when you do start to take back in all your multimedia. And the other thing is I think it helps you prioritize. It kind of really helps you put things in perspective, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, tell me, you're, so you are, you're currently um, studying religious studies at Chestnut Hill College? Is I am. I'll graduate in May. In May. And what will your degree be in? My degree will be in holistic spirituality. And people say, huh, what the heck is that? That really will, will help me to be able to help, you know, back to my focus, be able to help anyone in whatever they might be going through, regardless of their religious tradition. So um, anything, a relationship, uh, uh, somebody who's dying in their family, uh, a need to grow closer in their faith. However, I could ever be of assistance. And, and people have come in and out of my life, and, and I've tried to help them, but I've thought if I only had a little bit more mm, to give them. And, and this, this coursework has really opened my eyes in a lot of directions. Yeah. No, I think it's fascinating. I'm so studying the Quran right now, you, actually. That is so cool. Mm-hmm. So you will actually be uh, um, certified as a counselor? Is I, there a certi- No, I won't no. be a counselor. It just prepares me to help people in who come from a variety of traditions. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what is your your spiritual belief? I am Catholic. Okay. Yep. As am I. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, tell me what your plans are for after you get that degree. Is there something you're going to purposefully do? Um, or are you just going to kind of have that part of your, um, you know, part of what you're doing already? You know, I've never been more confident in an answer that I give when people ask that question, and it is whatever he calls me to do. It has taken me 12 years to get this degree because it started a long time ago, and before I got this, I got my undergrad and then a religious studies certificate from the seminary, and now this. And so now I think I'm I'm prepared yeah. for whatever comes my way. Yeah. And that's exciting, just kind of being open and seeing Mm -hmm. which direction. I like that. Um, We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Tracy Davidson. Uh, 
It's really tough for an everyday investor to find honest, personalized investment advice. Some brokers only push the latest hot stocks, and some financial advisors won't even return your phone call unless your account is worth half a million dollars. That's where the Mutual Fund Store comes in. It's where you talk with your local advisor, someone you can meet with face-to-face, not somebody wearing a headset a thousand miles away. And your Mutual Fund Store advisor will work with you to design an investment plan to help you get where you want to be. From day one, our advisors track your funds to make sure they're still right for you. Not everyone in the investment business can say that. The client comes first at the Mutual Fund Store with custom investment plans to fit your goals, not ours. To learn more, visit MutualFundStore.com or call the Mutual Fund Store now in East Norriton and Cherry Hill, 877-239-8330. That's 877-239-8330. Hello? Hi, Kelly. It's Sue. Are you and Joe going to the kids' game after school today? No, we are stuck in traffic again on our way to the hospital for Joe's IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments. Hey, my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow, infusions in the comfort of our own home? Yes. Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24-7 to provide safe, one-on-one clinical support around your schedule. Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877-974-4844 or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will, if we ever get out of this traffic, hearty har har. We can't wait to have these infusions at home with Walgreens. Thanks. Be well. The Women's Professional Network of Villanova University sponsors and supports programming for all Villanova women in order to encourage professional growth and development. The purpose is to connect women from all five colleges to educate and ignite change. They are thrilled to have this organization to foster creative collaboration with women across all industries. For more information or to offer ideas and suggestions, please contact them at wpn at villanova.edu or visit their website at villanova.edu slash wpn. Go Nova! Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at insourcenow.com to find the quality help you need. When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, wealth management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. 
Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806 or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back, everyone. This is Sue Rocco, and I'm in the studio this morning with Tracy Davidson. Uh, Tracy Davidson is uh, the NBC10 news anchor in Philadelphia and a consumer reporter, which I'd love to talk about that a little bit, too. I'm sure you have some great stories behind that work um, that you do. Um, I'd love to hear the story of how you transitioned from radio to TV. That's a big step for, for a lot of people. You know, it really was. And again, when most people said, did you always want to get to television? You know, I really didn't. I was, again, I was very happy covering news stories, getting information, interviewing people. And then this was when I was in Syracuse and I was invited to be on a panel of journalists who were questioning some candidates during a debate. So there was a reporter from radio, a reporter from the newspaper and the reporter from the television station. I did that debate. And about six months later, they called me and they said, we have an opening for a weekend anchor, weekday reporter. Would you like to come and try out? And I said, yes. And the story they gave me to try out was how to go out and choose a Christmas tree. And that was in December. <laughs> and like, how am I, I going to elaborate I'm not, that? I'm not sure I, if I could have screwed that one up, but I don't think I did. So <laughs> I got the job. And, you know, again, it's interesting. People, you know, I, I wanted to I wanted to do television, but I wasn't overly excited. I just wanted to continue to tell really good stories. with, And, and then I knew I had one more um, avenue to tell the story with the video. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the hair and the makeup and the clothes, I went kicking and screaming. I have no interest in, still don't have any interest. I mean, I'm not sure if anybody would mind if I just showed up in TV in a t-shirt and jeans and, and my hair <laughs> in a ponytail, because I'm going to be the same journalist. I'm going to tell you the same news. I might not right. look as good, but I, you know, trust me, I'll get you, I'll get you through the day. Right, but. right. But that's all a part of it. You have to do it. And, you do. and you're beautiful and you Thank always you. look very put together. So it makes for a nice appearance. Thank you. <laughs> um, something that I read about you that that's important to you is um, trying to find happiness in not just your life, but you helping others to find that. And um, it's a it's kind of a broad statement. And we talk about it a lot as a human race, finding happiness. Um, what are some concrete things that you do um, in your life and then and then try to help others to find that. Well, first, I think that you need to decide this is it doesn't this doesn't necessarily come under the umbrella of happy, but but once a year, I go and I write down on vacation, I take a day. You know, what is the life that I want to be leading? Where are my priorities? What do I enjoy? What do I feel I'm called to be doing? And write everything down and then and then compare that to how I spend the 24 hours that I've been given every day. And if they don't match up, well, then there might be a reason why you're not as happy as you could be, number one. Number two, I really do believe it's a choice. I mean, when you read stories about um, people who were prisoners in in concentration camps who chose under the worst of circumstances, and I'm not sure any of us here have circumstances that were that extreme, that they were able to choose to have hope, to choose to be happy, to choose to find something to be grateful for over the course of a day. 
I can certainly find things to be grateful for and, and I can choose to be happy. And, and, you know, I talk about finding happiness in the workplace. Well, you know, many people have that person that always rubs them the wrong way. Well, let's be let's be true. We can't change that person. I mean, we all walk around thinking we can change our spouses. We can change our children. We can change our coworkers. You can't. So stop it. That's just going to make you crazy. <laughs> stop trying. Stop trying. That's just going to make you crazy. Yeah. What you can cho- choose to do is choose how you to change how you see that person mm-hmm. or change how you take in what that person says or how they act. Yeah, and is so it true. and is it really is it really going to impact your life that much or can you say maybe that person is having a bad day? Maybe there's something I have no idea that's happening with that person at home. And there usually is. And 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 maybe I can just say, you know, say thank you and send good vibes out that way and continue on my way and continue through the rest of my day at work. Mm-hmm. So there really are a lot of opportunities to take to, to make the choice. There is, you know, sometimes I'm running around crazy and I think, well, when could I ever take the time to really breathe, to recenter, to be present, to have a meditative moment, if you will. There's no way I'm I'm walking down the hall finding a small quiet room and lighting a candle and and putting on nice music. Taking a bubble right? bath. Right. No. <laughs> but you know, you can open up space in your day. So even my walk down the hall to see someone or my walk down the hall to the restroom can be an opportunity to breathe, hit the reset button, refocus. And when I see someone be fully present because mm-hmm. that's going to feed back to me in all the craziness that can bring you back to being present with everyone. Yeah. I, I believe that so much about choosing. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I find difficult, we can choose um, throughout our day to just kind of um, have a different attitude, have a different outlook. What do we do when there is great sadness? You know, when something happens in our lives that is, uh, it's not the kind of silly stuff, you know, people being mad or um, people not doing the job right, mm-hmm. but real sadness that goes on. Um, how do you kind of uh, choose at those moments? You're not going to be happy, but how do you make the choice that to be hopeful? You well, know and I think that's it. I think that it's finding hope. I think that it's knowing um, and having the courage to know that you're not going to be in that space for long. I mean, look back at history. That's where, that's the only way that you have to know about what's c- coming in front of you, right, a little bit. And look back at history. Have you been really, really sad? Have you been in this place before? Well, what happened after that? Whether it was a death, whether it was a breakup, whether you've been really hurt by a friend, you know, did you stay in that place for very long? Well, my hope for you would be that you didn't, but, but likely you didn't, and you moved forward. And you got better, you got stronger, you got wiser. And so have faith that that will happen again. And for me, you know, certainly I have faith that I'm not alone, that God is with me and that God will move me forward. You know, I wonder, to me, if if you don't believe in something greater than yourself, how do you get through the day? You know, I, I think about that a lot. And I wonder, people that really don't have any specific spiritual belief, um, what gets them through those bad times? I, I don't know. I'm glad that I will never have to find out. Yeah, we, we need that. Um, what are some of the things you like to do when you're not working? You're working most of the day. <laughs> what are some things that bring you joy when you're not working? I love to cook. I love multi, multi-layered recipes. Like there's this piece that has to be going on and there's this piece that has to be going on and then you have to combine this and this. And so I like that very much. <laughs> I, um, you know, don't tell anyone. But I really, 
But I really, and I'm not good at it, but I love crafty things. So I make my wrapping paper for Christmas. I make homemade soap for people. I Hmm. like to make different um, decorated cookies for holidays for people. If I could spend longer at that, I'm sure I would get better. I'll just tell myself that. I'm not very good at it, but it gives me great joy. Crafts. Crafts. It really it, it gives me great joy. That's so funny. I, I, I have no crafting ability whatsoever. Well, uh, I have three sizes of glue guns. You'll be all set. We'll do it one day. <laughs> I would love that. Um, can we talk a little bit about, um, we were mentioning at the break that, for me, this show is a lot about women and mm-hmm. um, self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important. My belief is that, you know, really the greatest lessons come from hearing other people's stories because it connects us and, and makes us realize that we're all human. And um, young women today, I think it's very tough for them to have strong self-esteem because of the barrage of information. Um you know, a lot of the bad barrage of information. Mm -hmm. Um, What types of things would you say to the listeners that are struggling with self-esteem and that that they haven't really come to believe in themselves yet, specifically girls? You know, a dream of mine would be to write a book because I, two young girls, to promise them, and I can tell you, I, I, I could promise every single girl who would stand before me, I promise you it will get better. I promise you. If you think you are in a bad place, if you think that, you know, your, your friends don't like you or you're in the wrong clique or you didn't get asked by the boy that you wanted to to prom, I promise you things will get so much better beyond your wildest imagination. And so we go back to hope. I think that we, everybody has to have hope, especially especially when they're young. And I think that um, for, for us more mature women, I did a speech a couple of weeks ago in front of an audience and I was talking about sort of that negative voice. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I hear that negative voice and I looked out in the audience and I said, you know, you've all heard it, right? Not a hand went up and I said, you know, you're big liars because you're, <laughs> you're all liars because we've all heard the voice yeah. and you know it. <clears throat> Those and, are the imposters I call So them. Right. Yeah. So we've all heard the voice. And so the trick is figuring out if you want to, if you want to go deep, um, where the voice came from, but it doesn't matter where it came from. It's inaccurate. If it came from a parent a long time ago, if it came from an aunt, if it came from a bad boyfriend, it doesn't matter who or somebody, you know, a bad boss early on that told you you weren't smart or you weren't pretty or you weren't confident or you didn't have you didn't have the right stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, write down everything that is about you that there that there is to say about you that's accurate and look at that and and look at the voice and say the bottom line is you're not accurate. So stop talking. Yeah. My voice is stronger. My courage is stronger. And what's accurate about myself is stronger than the voice. So, I mean, and sometimes it does require talking to yourself and talking to the voice, especially, you know, I do a lot of help, helping people to learn how to talk in front of groups. And, you know, that voice gets in there loud yes. right before you stand <clears throat> up before a group. That's right. And so you need to just tell it. Seriously, you have no business being in my head. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how a comment that's, someone can make to you can stay with you for so long. Um, and it becomes part of your tape. It becomes part of this yes. this recurring um, tape that plays over and over and over in your head. And it becomes, you, it, then you you claim it. That's right. It becomes part of your narrative. And so in your own mind, you say, well, I'm this and I'm not that. And, and I don't do that very well. Well, you don't really think that. You know to the contrary. Right, right. Has there ever been um, a mentor in your life? Has there been somebody who's done the opposite and kind of lifted you up? 
I think I had a lot of I had a lot of really good teachers and I had a woman who I worked under when I got my first big radio job in Rochester, New York, um, who really just said and taught and and it and I and I was under her. She was the only woman in the newsroom and we were surrounded by much, much older men with white hair, smoking and drinking coffee in the newsroom. <laughs> and um and she just taught me to just be myself and just do what I wanted to and ask the questions that I wanted to ask and and to be brave. You know, that's sort of my new that's sort of my new catchphrase. Sarah Bareilles has this song that's called, you know, Love it's it. called, it's about brave and 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 I'm hoping to talk about that um in a speech that I'm going to give coming up. And, you know, she wrote it for her friends who um, were homosexual, who were in the closet. And and she was she wrote it with great love because she she wanted she said, I want to see you be brave. Let the words fall out. And because she felt so badly for them that they were living such sad lives Mm -hmm. because they weren't being brave. But I think we can all sort of take a lesson from the be brave Mm -hmm. and be brave and go to the outside corners of what you really want or what you're really comfortable with. You know, push your limits. Ask the questions that you're like, I don't know, in this big room at the end of this table, if I should really ask that. No, be brave. Be brave. Ask it. Be brave. Ask for that job that you really want that you think, I don't know if I'm qualified. Be brave. Yes. Stand up for yourself. Yeah. I love that song. I cry every time I hear that song. It's beautiful. It should be an anthem, I think, for, for young women in particular. Um, you, uh, you do some consumer reporting, and I'm wondering if you can share some stories. Um, you do great work there and really give educational information um, to, to the listeners. Um, but I'm wondering if there's any stories that you have that are some of your favorite memories of some of that reporting. Well, all right. Two stories. One, you know, we we did we do a lot of um, we did a lot of um, events right at the station where we helped people. Once a month, we would help people get jobs, and we would teach them how the job search. You know, especially when the economy tanked, we did a lot of home buying. People didn't really know. I mean, people were taken advantage of when they got into mortgages that they shouldn't have been in, um, but then they also didn't know the ropes. So I, I've done a lot of that, and I love when I hear stories that come back and people say, you know, we really made a mistake because we weren't educated, but then we got educated and we were able to buy a home or something like that. So mm-hmm. those are always really nice stories. But one of my favorite stories from a while ago was a mover, and here's what was happening, and I and I just started to pile up. You know, one complaint, you don't know if it's the company or the consumer or it just was something happened. You don't necessarily, you can't really call a bad guy from one complaint. But I started to get all kinds of complaints about this mover. And he was also acting as a storage facility. And so what was happening is he would move someone, store their stuff, and then they would go back and they would say, okay, I'm ready for my stuff three months later. And he would put them off, put them off, put them off saying, I can't find it. I can't find it. Or, you know, we're going to have to move something to get to your stuff. We can't do that. We can't do that. You know what? But I have this TV here. Why don't you take the TV since I can't find your couch? Literally, this happened over and over and over again. I had probably 30 to 40 complaints. And so, and I don't know. Now, looking back, I have no idea how this ever happened. This gentleman obviously was not very happy with me when I finally tracked him down. Well, at that point, were you saying to yourself, I can't wait to catch this guy. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much. I because would be. Because like, it took me a while to figure out exactly what he was doing, but what he was doing is he was selling their stuff, <clears throat> and then he was turning around, and when they really knocked on his door long enough, they'd say, he'd say, I'm really sorry, I really have no idea where your chest of drawers is, but would you like this bed? 
It was somebody else's bed that he was storing, right? Sounds like a sitcom. So finally, what I did, and I have, again, I have no idea how this happened, but I got him to come into the studio and to address probably, I, I forget how many complaints there were, how many people were there, how many consumers, but maybe 8 to 15. And he took questions from them. He answered their complaints. And then one by one, he went into an, one of our offices and he wrote checks because they all had their paperwork. And right. he wrote checks to each one of them. And at the end of the <clears throat> night, the total was $42,000. Wow. That's how much he stole. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he stole much more, but that's how much we got back. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you cracked that case. Yeah. <laughs> Do we want to say his name? Or no, maybe we no, because no. I have no idea. That was a while ago. I'm sure he's cleaned up his, I'm sure, I'm confident he's cleaned up his act. <laughs> so you get to do some, I mean, I love that investigative work that you, you know, you get to do and kind of get to the bottom of things. That's fun. Well, and Harry Harrison does a great job in our investigative unit now. I mean, he really goes after people. It's great. So how do you, I, I'm curious how these stories uh, come about. I mean, are, are you um, as a station, when the information from the audience and listeners comes in, mm-hmm. then you choose which stories you feel are worthwhile tackling, or are you actually out yourself researching and looking for stories to report on? Both. Both. Yeah, okay. both. And, and you know, our viewers talk to us all kinds of ways. They talk to us via Twitter, Facebook. They send us emails. They call us. And, and so then it just gets funneled to different people, and we start looking into it. Plus, it's really easy to see when you have a serious problem because you get um, a multitude of complaints about the same company. Yeah. Um, how do you enjoy the, you know, all of the offsite reporting that you get to do Excuse versus me. being in a studio and, and just kind you know, anchoring the news? I love being out. I actually love being offsite. I love being live at a location. I had a lot of opportunities in the last year. I got to be in Rome for the papal election in the conclave. Oh, wow. And so I was live right outside St. Peter's Square and I like that very, very much. I I really like being around what's happening and being able to access information and people that are around. The days following Sandy, I was at the shore. Mm -hmm. So um, at the train derailment, I was in Paulsboro for the inauguration. I was in Washington. And it's really, it's it's a much different feel. It's a much different feel. It's firsthand. And for me, it's flying without a net because in the studio, it's pretty controlled. I mean, right. you have great producers, you have the teleprompter, you have scripts. And when you're in the field, you're a lot more on your own. Yeah. And you get to be a little bit more creative, I guess, as right. far as where the conversation's going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fun. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is um, there's a lot going on, not just in our area, globally, uh, with women and women's networking groups and initiatives within corporations and Lean in and all of that good stuff. Um, the first thing I wanted to ask is, why do you think now there's such a revolution going on um, more than any other time in our history? What is it about these times that are um, bringing women together to support each other and and try to help put more women into leadership roles? You know, I think we, we're probably at the tipping point. We're probably at the tipping point. We're right. We're right on the cusp of doing some even greater things than the women who have gone before us. Mm-hmm. We're really connecting with one another better than we've ever done. And because there are a lot of people, like it or not, agree with it or not, um, like Sheryl Sandberg, who have put words to it, who have put language so that we can better talk about it and express mm-hmm. ourselves, I think that moves the conversation forward as well. 
I think that's really key. You know, um, it's not just kind of general talking. We can do it too. You know, the women. Um, it's very different from from the seventies. You know, the feminist movement. I think was a little bit more. Um, separating men and women. And I think today we're looking to combine gifts that women have and men have, right, to do Correct. it better. Correct. Yes. We don't have to imitate their gifts. Exactly. We have to use our gifts to be great leaders. Right, in a collaborative way, mm-hmm. right. Um, we're going to take one last quick break, and we'll be back in the studio with Tracy Davidson. Hello? Hi, Kelly. It's Sue. Are you and Joe going to the kids' game after school today? No, we are stuck in traffic again on our way to the hospital for Joe's IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments. Hey, my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow, infusions in the comfort of our own home? Yes, Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24-7 to provide safe, one-on-one clinical support around your schedule. Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877-974-4844 or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will, if we ever get out of this traffic, hearty har har. We can't wait to have these infusions at home with Walgreens. Thanks. Be well. The Women's Professional Network of Villanova University sponsors and supports programming for all Villanova women in order to encourage professional growth and development. The purpose is to connect women from all five colleges to educate and ignite change. They are thrilled to have this organization to foster creative collaboration with women across all industries. For more information or to offer ideas and suggestions, please contact them at wpn at villanova.edu or visit their website at villanova.edu slash wpn. Go Nova! Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at InSourceNow.com to find the quality help you need. It's really tough for an everyday investor to find honest, personalized investment advice. Some brokers only push the latest hot stocks, and some financial advisors won't even return your phone call unless your account is worth half a million dollars. That's where the mutual fund store comes in. It's where you talk with your local advisor, someone you can meet with face to face, not somebody wearing a headset a thousand miles away. And your mutual fund store advisor will work with you to design an investment plan to help you get where you want to be. From day one, our advisors track your funds to make sure they're still right for you. Not everyone in the investment business can say that. The client comes first at the mutual fund store with custom investment plans to fit your goals, not ours. 
To learn more, visit MutualFundStore.com or call the Mutual Fund Store now in East Norriton and Cherry Hill, 877-239-8330. That's 877-239-8330. When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, wealth management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker Financial Advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484 484- Five three zero two eight zero six. Again, that number is four eight four five three zero two eight zero six. Or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back, everyone, to Women to Watch. Uh, my name is Sue Rocco, and I'm in the studio today with the beautiful Tracy Davidson, who is our NBC10 news anchor and consumer reporter here in Philadelphia. And um, I, I wanted to ask Tracy, uh, you've received many, many awards for your work. And I wonder if those awards mean something to you, if there's one in particular that perhaps you were a little bit more excited to receive, um, or whether you just feel it's just part of the work that you do. Well, you know, I think the one that stands out for me is the Sister Mary Vera Award, and it has to do with has to do with a lot of things that we've been talking about. She was a nun who started a, a domestic violence shelter. Back then it was called a battered women's shelter. Um, long, <clears throat> excuse me, a long, long time ago in the 70s and 80s in Syracuse, New York. And I remember interviewing her. And even to this day, and I've, I've spoken at some, some groups about domestic violence, some groups that were mainly men, and they still didn't really understand, and they still really didn't get it, and they still really didn't believe that it happened and is happening in their neighborhood. And so I can imagine, so now we're in 2013, 2014, and I'm talking to people that don't get it about domestic violence. And I talked to Sister Mary Vera a long, long time ago. She's since passed. And, and I remember saying to her when she, she started this battered women's shelter, which was completely unheard of in Syracuse back in the 70s and 80s. And I said, I said Sister Mary, I said, you know, I'm sure there were a lot of naysayers. What did you, what did you um, say to them to try to, to make them understand? And without even batting an eye, she said, I just didn't pay any attention to them. I just kept, I just kept moving. And, you know, that that goes to not listening to the negative. That goes to being brave. She knew there was an issue. She knew she had to uh, establish. And so what she established was a domestic violence shelter called Vera House Mm -hmm. um, that is established in Syracuse that um, I worked for their board. And so they they have an award named after Sister Mary, and it's called the Sister Mary Vera Award. And so I received that a long, long time ago, and I was incredibly grateful and touched. And, And I hope if I can have half the bravery to say when something's wrong and to do the right thing and to help people who need help as uh, half as much as Sister Mary did, that I'll be really happy. Yeah. Well, you're doing that. And so you're you're still involved with the, the, the Vera House today? You know, I'm not just because I'm here and I'm okay. in, in, involved with Laurel House Laurel and House, yeah. um, 
uh, the Domestic Violence Center in Chester County as well. So Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Phil Abundance, um, sure. which you're involved in. And, mm-hmm. and I'm assuming you've had done some work with Sister Mary Scullion? You know, I, I haven't done work directly with her, no. Okay. I have great admiration for her. And talk about someone who's brave. Talk about someone who says it like it is. Right. Talk about someone who takes on issues that no one else really wants to take on. Yeah. So She's yeah. going to come do the show, actually. And oh, I congratulations. Wait. That's terrific. Yes. That's a good get. I know it. And I'm, you know, I'm not, she does, she's very busy. So I know that she, yes. it's not something that she particularly wants to do or enjoys doing, but we're going to do it. Um, but t- talk to it's it's important to you that your work with Phil Abundance. Well, right, and it's and it's interesting that you would talk about um, Sister Mary Scullion because she, um, I think she would say the same thing that while that people think about homeless people as I think people think about when they think about people who are hungry. So we all want to give. Well, hopefully people want to give people with good hearts and they want to help people. But I think that when we see people who are homeless or when we hear of people who are hungry, that somehow. And here's again, be honest, raise your hands in the in the privacy of your own homes. Somehow there's something inside of us that says they must be different. Like we want to help them, of course, because they're in need, but they must be different. And so when we talk about that with with hunger, you know, I, I walk around and saying and, and tell people, but they're not. They're not different. They are just like us. They have a job. They pay their bills. They have kids. They have food in the refrigerator. But the food runs out. They don't make enough money to take their children to the to the to the doctor, um, put gas in their car, put heat in their home. And at the end of the day, have food on the table at the end of the month. That's the problem. And so when we think of hunger, I've talked to many groups and they've said, well, are you talking about the homeless? I'm not talking about the homeless. I'm talking about people who, again, live in our neighborhoods, live in every single county in the Philadelphia five county area and in New Jersey and in Delaware. People who live in our neighborhoods that we might see at church, at synagogue, at the grocery store, who at the end of the week, at the end of the month, they don't have enough food. So perhaps... And again, they have jobs just like we do. Perhaps they go hungry. They don't eat for two days so that their children can have enough food. They depend on the food that the schools provide to their children so that their children can have nutrition. And there is a lot more people who are hungry in this area than we think. We think of hunger sometimes as something that happens in in South Africa. Mm -hmm. It happens right here in the Philadelphia area. And so that's what Phil Abundance aims to address. Yeah. You know, you always wonder... What circumstance led to that? Is there, can you talk about a particular family that you know and, and what what happened there? Well, you know, here, again, especially because of the downturn in the economy, there were story after story after story of people who gave to fill abundance at one point, but because of the downturn, somebody got really sick and they didn't have enough insurance. Somebody lost their job. And then it just got, went from bad to worse. And at the end of the day, they, they couldn't make ends meet. And they ended up turning to some kind of a pantry that was supplied by Phil Abundance, mm-hmm. where three years prior, they were the ones contributing. So there are a lot of circumstances that bring people to that point. And there's just the bottom line. There's, there's working poor that food stamps just don't get it done. They just don't. Yeah. And I would imagine that there's often a lot of shame involved there. And so these people might not be apt to speak up and reach out and say, you know, we we don't have enough at the end of the week to give our children. Right. And they're going without. 
Yeah. And and that's what we're trying to we're trying to reach those people and we're trying to take away that shame because yeah. again more and more people are in that predicament and there's nothing to be ashamed of again they're just like we are they, they didn't do anything wrong to put them in that predicament they go to work their kids go to school they're doing everything right it's just that there's not enough money to put food on the table yeah if there's for the listeners um, if they wanted to do something today to reach out and help with that cause go on Phil Abundance website. There are lots of ways that you can volunteer, you can donate your expertise, you can donate money, and there's lots of ways to get your family involved, too, where you can go to the warehouse and help pack boxes and teach your children. Teach your children that there are people in our area who have less that we should help. Yeah. Okay. Um, We only have a minute left, so I would love for you to give your your best contact information if someone's listening and they want to get in touch with you regarding any of the work that you do. Oh, well, go to TracyDavidson.com. That's easy. And also follow me on Twitter at Tracy Davidson. At Tracy Davidson. Right. Okay. And you're off uh, to do some other great things today, I'm sure. So we're going to let you go. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming, and I really appreciate it. Thank it you. Great I'm to grateful meet you. for the time. Thanks. Thank you. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch here on WWDB AM 860. Again, my name is Sue Rocco, and if you would like to get in touch with me, I'd love to hear from you. So feel free to call 215 Have a great week.